0: Good morning. This is uh, Lesson 16. I call it Final Words on Spiritual Gifts. That's sort of true. We will not actually abandon the subject because we are going to be talking about the nature and the function of the church, and we'll be talking later about the commands of Christ, and these are all very much related to the subject of spiritual gifts. I might mention to you, incidentally, that uh, it's been my desire for some time to expose you to a fellow named Dr. Ramesh Richard. You may or may not know of him. He's a professor at the seminary. I met him first, I think, overseas, and uh, he has a a very significant ministry at the seminary as well as through REACH and through uh, Global Proclamation Academy, which is an effort to bring a number of, uh, of uh, rising, emerging church leaders from all over the world to the U.S. for uh, training and then being sent back out. He will be speaking next Sunday, and I think you will find that a real privilege, and then I will begin on the, uh, the church. I always thought that soup was something that you ate before dinner until I went to, uh, to Asia and and uh, at one of my trips uh, we we sat at a table which had this a uh, big pot right in the middle and a gas fire underneath and uh, David Dean smiling he's been at that pot as well and and I don't really know who to give credit for ethnically for this but it's a very interesting thing you you sit at the table they pour a little oil in the water they fire up this pot they put some vegetables and stuff in the pot and then they have these thin strips of meat which you take and you dip in the pot and depending on how well done you want them, you just wait uh, and, and you can have them raw, rare, medium rare or whatever you want depending on the length of time it's in the pot. But all the time that you're cooking this meat, the juices from that meat are working within this, this water, this broth and so at the very end of the meal you have soup uh, and that soup is a sort of a composite of all the stuff that's gone in there and, and the juices and whatever. This is the soup this morning, the soup of the series on spiritual gifts. It's sort of the, the, the pot that's sort of been simmering away, and uh, I've got a number of things that I want to say that may not have fit elsewhere, and so... Uh, this is the soup, and, and if you are expecting a pure exposition, then I'm in the soup because that's not exactly what you're going to get today. As a sort of general goal, uh, I, I did want to focus your attention on a couple of texts of Scripture. One of those is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 2, and we're not going to look at that carefully at all other than to say that the church at Thessalonica was a kind of model church. If if you wanted to look at a church and to say, that's the kind of church we would love for CBC to be, Thessalonica would be a good place to look. It is a church where the gospel was powerfully preached and where it powerfully and radically saved sinners uh, and transformed their lives. But more than that, it was the church that then lived out that truth in such a radical way that the word of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ was sent forth uh, all around the world so that Paul heard about the gospel and he heard about this church from others who uh, heard of the ministry and the growth and the health of the church at Thessalonica. Surely that is the kind of church we would like to be. I suppose you could pick uh, the church at Philippi as another model church and you could look at that again as a church like uh, as we would want to be uh, as we grow and mature in the Lord. Then there's a couple of texts in Revelation which I thought I would toss in because here you have to find the church between two extremes. The church at Ephesus in in Revelation chapter 2 is a church that is uh, very uh, aggressive and zealous to defend the faith. They are uh, eager to make sure that what is taught, what is said, what is believed is doctrinally pure and true. And the only problem is that somewhere in the process of being theological watchdogs, they've lost their first love. And so uh, the Lord has to, to urge them to repent thought about what what does first love look like? What are the deeds that one would do that were a part of their first love? And I thought of a few, and I'm sure there are many more. One would be a love for the Word of God and a desire to grow. Some of the people that I've seen who have especially had rather radical conversions, they just can't get enough of God's Word they are just reading the word daily and in large volumes, that brill cream ad or whatever it is, a little dab will do you. Or is it Burma Shave? I always forget. Whatever it is, most of you are so young you don't even know what I'm talking about, but a little dab won't do you when you are a Christian seeking to grow in your faith. You need to be in major portions of scripture. Uh, There is a love for the saints and a desire to fellowship with them. Do you remember Paul, Saul, when he is converted? The first thing he wants to do when he gets to Jerusalem is to associate himself with the believers. The believers aren't so sure they want to associate with him because they're not so sure that he's been radically saved. But a desire to be with other believers uh, is always there and a love for the saints. And then a love for the lost. When Saul was saved, he immediately began to preach to those who were like him and to tell them how he had come to see that Jesus indeed was the true Messiah. So those would be some of the things that undoubtedly we would need to think about if our love has grown cold. The other side of that equation is found in in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29 at Thyatira. Here is a church that has good deeds. In fact, he says that those deeds are increasing. So they are doing the kinds of things which the church at Ephesus seems to have grown weary of or grown cold about. But the problem with the church at Thyatira is they've gotten lax on their doctrine. In other words, they're sort of the opposite side of the church of Ephesus. Ephesus is doctrinally devout, but colder than a clam. And, and, and here is Thyatira that's warm and loving and embracing, but doctrinally wimpy. And, and they have accepted or at least tolerated these things that are called the deep things of Satan. They look like they are deep and profound, but the reality is they lead to wrong uh, practice and wrong belief, and, and therefore there was immorality. So there the balance has to be kept between these two extremes. There needs to be a a desire for pure doctrine, but also true love uh, that also holds to purity and truth. And that, I hope, is the general goal that we all agree upon as, as members here at Community Bible Chapel. Secondly, can we look and reflect for a moment on what God has done through CBC. One of the things that I heard this morning was some reflection about God's faithfulness in the past. And, and you know, I think that especially for those of us who are real old-timers who have been here from the beginning, if you think back about the, the, the things that God has done through our body, in, in the midst of our body, that can be really healthy in terms of fruit for praise as to what God has done. For instance, just think geographically about uh, various parts of the world that have been touched directly or indirectly uh, through us. I see David Dean back there. That means the Philippines. And I think of Paul Ferseth and Ruth, and, and I think of China. And Paul, even at this time when it is cold and, and, and miserable there, I, I could just see Paul smiling. And, and if, I don't know if you've ever heard him say this, but... Paul said one time, you know, it is so exciting in China. Do you know that they almost pay you enough to live on? That's that's Paul. Man, he is so excited to be there and and to be sharing the gospel. And and his last years have been the most fruitful years of Paul and Ruth's ministry. And this, we believe, will probably be their last because of forced retirement. Think of Africa, Scott and Beth. Uh, think of uh, the Middle East. Uh, By the way, I got an email yesterday from Wolf Paul. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Vienna, Austria. Uh, and, And they're still, Wolf and Geraldine are still ministering over there. Anyway, all of that is to say you could think your way around the world and realize that in some way God has allowed us to touch those places and those places to touch us. Think about the people that God has sent out. Now, we've got all kinds of folks. There are the seminary people who have come and and have graduated and have been led to go to various places, and and, uh, a number of those as what we might call formal missionaries. But then think of the tent makers. Here is uh, Mike Bromel and and Paul Lockie and and Lori and others who have gone out in a sort of tent making capacity. I don't think that most of us appreciate all of the things that are going on. When the riots took place in Indonesia, virtually all of the missionaries fled, but not Mike. Anybody who wanted to know anything about what was going on in the church and in Indonesia called Mike because he was there at the center of it. Mike is the project director for the translation of all the prophets have spoken into Indonesian. So you've got people who have got just incredible ministries. And as you know, Mike has has been instrumental in the salvation of a number of the about 200 employees who work for him uh, in the companies that he owns. I'm not trying to focus on on particular people so much as simply to say that many people have been sent out from our body and they're having a significant impact. One who I won't name in the medical field was just named the best doctor in his field in the country. And, and that young man uh, had many of his growing up years here in our body. Now you're all going to want to know who it is. Okay, Jim Lopez. That's the kind of thing that God has done through our church. He's allowed us to have a piece of people's lives and to watch them uh, go forth in, in various ways. Not all of them in formal ways, but, but all of them in ways that have an impact. And so some of you, I can think of Gordon and Charlene Graham, you've had some of these people that have been in your Sunday school class or Gordon and Charlene worked with Rob Boo and and Rob uh, now is the pastor of Wheaton Bible Church. So we've had a number of these people who have come through and now we're getting these kids who have literally grown up as children in our body who are either leaving from CBC or elsewhere where they or their parents have moved and they're going out and we've had a part we 've had a part in their lives, and for that we ought to be grateful. Think about the ways in which God has used our prayers, speaking of which uh, Judy just told me that Ali she thinks is in Pakistan, so if you want to revise your prayers i 'm sure God will not be out of date. But if you want to revise your prayers, he apparently is in Pakistan, and you know he has a great concern for his parents salvation so Let's pray for for Ali. But think about all those areas of the world for which we have prayed and the kinds of things which God is doing. And you know from some of the communication we have, those people are saying to us, it is your prayers that are enabling us, in some cases, to survive, in other cases, to have ministry with with a great impact in difficult places. Uh, and just think about CBC ministries beyond our walls. Uh, for example, uh, Ron and Kay Manus will be going to the Iron Sharpens Iron Conference in, in, at Emmaus uh, this uh, coming May. And, and we'll be talking about how to have a, a good church library because of, of, of his article on starting a church library that's been posted on the Internet, he's had a part in, in, in seeing libraries start all around the world. Those those are a part of our ministry as a church, and we ought to rejoice as God uses people in, in that way. So the bottom line is, to the degree that you've had a part, to the, to the degree that you have in some way contributed, been a part of the ministry of Community Bible Chapel, then you have been a part of that. So the Lord says, if you give a cup of water in the name of the prophet, then you get a prophet's reward. Doesn't mean you always have to be the prophet, but you can't have a part in what the prophet, so to speak, is doing. I want to talk for a minute about the ministry opportunities before us, and I'm hesitant in some ways because there are so many that I hate, I hate to focus on just a few and, and somehow to lock us into a limited kind of thinking. One that I added just this morning that will not be on your notes or on the screen is in the area of benevolence. Bill Mathers gets up and shares with us that here is a woman who is in need who's going to be removed from her house. You know, we can look at... at at needs in two ways. One is the oh no, not another one, uh, you know, kind of weary uh, outlook. And the other is these needs are opportunities. I don't know what God is going to do in that woman's life through us, but I think it's an exciting opportunity. There is a, a young child uh, that we learned about this past week uh, at Trinity uh, uh, Fellowship. Uh, who has brain cancer and and it appears that we as a church are going to have a part in ministering to that family even though they're not a part of our church and we don't know who that is. Those are exciting opportunities for us to show benevolence. You know that we sent some money with Dr. Sarkar as he uh, left for Bangladesh and Ramesh Richard will be leaving for Bangladesh next month and and ministering to those who have suffered devastation there. Great opportunities for ministry and the proclaiming of the gospel. Child Evangelism Fellowship. We have never had the freedom to be involved and in public schools uh, to the degree that we have in these last several years. And, and just in these last few months, we've had some encouraging feedback, which allows us to even be more intimately involved with families that have specific needs that are represented by those students in those schools. Great opportunity. Ukrainian orphans. We know what God has done so far because we're privileged to have some of them as a part of our body and as a part of our family, and we delight in that. But I don't know where all that's going. I don't think that the numbers have yet been announced. But remember, for example, in just this past month when we, with very short notice, said we want to send a gift to the orphans for Christmas, a special gift. I think that number was about $13,000 that was given specifically for that special gift. Our hearts are there, and we know that true religion is going to take into account widows and orphans, and only time will tell what God's going to do as that relationship with Papadema and the orphanages over there uh, blossom and develop. Ministry to Muslims... Think about the history of that. What was it, five years ago or so, maybe six, that Colin McDougall came and he had been in a country in Africa where they had been ministering to Muslims and now he begins to help us to pray specifically that God would reach Muslims in our community and great things have begun to happen there. Ali and Judy are a part of our body, and, and that's an exciting opportunity in and of itself. He brings along Dr. Abraham Sarker and the Gospel for Muslims, and we have a class on understanding uh, Islam. Uh, International Students Incorporated uh, is a ministry that reaches out to students uh, and shares the gospel with them. Two of the leaders in the church in Jakarta, Jakarta International Christian Fellowship, two of those leaders that I know of and have talked to were saved in the U.S. through through, through student ministry to international students, one specifically through ISI. He's now an elder, a fellow elder uh, with Mike in the church there. And these men are men who have the opportunity to make a great impact upon not only their country, but the world because of the way God has placed them in positions of ministry. Ramesh is going to come next week, and one of the things that that I've asked him to do is to talk about how we as a church can do a better job of reaching our international neighbors. This is a tremendous opportunity, and and I think that God is going to use us and our gifting uh, to do something that we can rejoice in as time goes on. Now, I don't know how many of you have been watching this next one, the Centennial Park Project. Uh, it just so happens that every time we go to Central Expressway, we have to pass it. But it's on the, uh, on the corner of Spring Valley and Greenville. That would be on the northwest corner. And, and they are tearing down uh, 337 apartments and 18 homes. And that's a 53-acre complex. But what's going to go in there is 44,000 square feet of retail space, 150 townhomes, 300 condominiums, and 500 apartments. Now, I have to tell you that the publicity we received at our door from the Neighborhood Association was not a glory hallelujah because all you can think about is the increased traffic and whatever. But, but think about what God is doing. What are we talking, six or eight blocks from this building? We're going to see that many new families move into our community, that much opportunity. It's time for us to begin to think strategically and say, how can we as a church address what God is doing in these providential ways to minister to them? For example, do we want to have a community gym night where we say, we have an auditorium? They or a gymnasium? And they do not. Are there ways in which we can use the facilities God has given to us to reach out to those who will be our new neighbors? I don't know, but I say these are opportunities that God is bringing our way. Now, let me give you a, 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 uh, I don't know what this is in the soup, but let me give you a challenge for the coming year Uh, to think about. And the reason I have given you notes, particularly this week, is I want you to look at these things and think about them and pray about them in terms of what God would do in your life and through you and your gifts and ministry as we think about these things. But uh, John Feltz already uh, shared the first one, and that is that we would desire to grow in our love for God and in our love for others. That ought to be a passion that we have, rather than our love growing cold, as we see in Revelation chapter 2 at Ephesus, we ought to desire to see our love going hot for God and for others. That, it seems to me, requires that we have some kind of a plan and that we have some kind of a discipline process by which we pursue that. Now, I got to tell you, folks, I am not huge on plans and I am not huge on discipline. But I realize and recognize that that is a part of the Christian life, is spiritual disciplines. I could name, I think I will not, I could name individuals who in the history of our church have come to me and to others and said, I'm serious about my Christian life. I want to know what books I need to read. I want to know what subjects I ought to study so that I can be a faithful servant of God. And those men that I have watched, and it has been men primarily because that's who I would be working with, and I'm sure it's true of women as well, but those men, as I've watched, have been faithful and have been disciplined, and God has blessed them and their ministry. That requires, I think, systematic Bible reading. And I say that to you at this point in the year because, hey, this is the first of the year. It's a great time to start. Now, there are all kinds of ways, and, and I guess I've gone about just about everything. Chronological Bibles are great. Uh, I try to read through a different translation just in order to get a little different feel and flavor uh, for that particular year, but systematic Bible reading is very important, and it is a good time to start. Great books. You ought to be talking to Ron and, and saying... What are the significant books that I need to be reading? Now, I've got to tell you that it's probably a little disappointing. I think that many of the books, maybe most of the books that have been read and checked out recently are lightweight books, lightweight books. Folks, we've got to get into the heavyweight category. We need to start reading stuff that has to do with theology, doctrine, church history, missions. Biographies are great, too. But we need to bulk it up a little bit, I think, in terms of the, the things that we are reading. We need to move ahead in terms of our, our prayer life. And I, I should say also, we need to be using the technology. Some of you are. But, you know, I, I, I grew up, I cut my teeth when we came to Dallas, literally on, on uh, wall and sack, you don't even know what those are, wall and sack tape recorders, reel to reel, And and we would reproduce Sunday sermons by doubling the speed. We'd tape at three and three quarters and, and duplicate at seven and a half. I actually got to where I could almost understand that stuff at double speed. But the point is now you have podcasts, you have sermons available on the Internet. Nobody has the excuse that there is not ample opportunity to learn And you can do it in your car as you're driving to work. You can take and redeem time that would be wasted otherwise. I encourage you to think about that. We need to grow in terms of our sense of of the desperate condition of the lost and their destiny, the shortness of the time, and the importance of proclaiming Christ in the present moment. We need to identify or to confirm our unique role we're talking now more specifically about spiritual gifts. What is it God has given you and I to do in the body? And we need to have a desire to see needs and to respond to those as God enables us to, to do so. So those would be some challenges in terms of the next year. Now, it was actually the Friday morning group that suggested I take the format of questions and I've got a batch of them here, and that's why they're written down on your notes for you to think about. But questions for you to ponder. I think sometimes what we like is for people to just give us, uh, here's what you do in three nice easy points, here's how you go out and apply that. Jesus often left the people that he taught with questions to think about, And and these are things that if there are worthy questions, I I would hope that at least there are a few questions there that would be worthy of your attention, that you would give thought to those as to how it bears upon you and your ministry in our church. Uh, A and B are sort of uh, related. What is it that I am doing that builds up the body of Christ at CBC and beyond? That means beyond our walls. What is it? Can you name... Can you name the things that God has given you to do, that they are your task, they are your mission? And the second part is, would I be missed if I were gone? In other words, what are the things that God has given you uniquely to do that other people really can't replace? I'm going to tell John a little secret, but last week when John wasn't here... As somebody, I saw a kid looking over, and he looks down, and oops, there are no microphones. And all of a sudden, John, who may not be all that visible, is missed. Now we got by, but there are many things that take place in this in this church that are not seen. But if those people were not here, you'd know it. You'd know it. And and we ought to be thinking about what our unique contribution is. So. What can I do uh, to, to, uh, to contribute to CBC that no one else can do in the same way? What am I doing to develop my gifts and to grow in my ministry? It seems clear to me that Paul is urging Timothy not only to exercise his gift but to discipline himself and his life so that the exercise of his gift gets richer and fuller and deeper and more mature. People doesn't just give people their gifting in its full-blown capacity. So what are we doing to take those abilities that God has given to us that are supernatural uh, so that they will be developed? And then am I a good steward as I look at all of these things? Am I really a good steward of what God has entrusted to me? Here's another question. How does my ministry contribute to the fulfillment of the Great Commission? I think we still do this. I didn't have time to go back and look at at, at the forms, but each year as we ask uh, leaders in particular areas to to tell us about how things are going in their ministry area, one of the questions basically is, how does your area of ministry contribute to evangelism and discipleship? Now, remember from Ephesians chapter 4 that every person is gifted in a way that builds up the body but it builds up the body for the work of ministry. Surely we would have to say that the Great Commission is a significant part of that ministry. And that means proclaiming Christ, leading others to Christ, and then leading them to maturity in Christ as God brings them our way to disciple. So how do our gifts fit? And I think, I think in many instances... They actually do fit, but we just don't think about it. If our gift is not evangelism, then we see ourselves as somehow distant from the process. But when you look at a ministry like CEF, there are far, besides evangelists, there are a number of things that need to be done at a CEF meeting, that don't take an evangelist. Sometimes they just take a referee. Sometimes they just take a big, strong guy to say, knock it off. Uh, You know, there's a whole complex of activities, and we need to see that when we are a part of that, we are a part of the end result, which is evangelism and discipleship. But we need to look and ask ourselves, are the things that I am doing really working in that direction or contributing in that direction? Here's a question. How has God uniquely prepared me for ministry? It may well be that our handicaps are the very things that may be significant. Uh, when uh, Craig and I are, are talking about going to Asia, uh, again, this this coming year, Craig Nelson, and, and uh, I, I was telling him, I was thinking I'd probably be gone for five weeks or somewhere in there. And Craig says, well... Uh, I think probably i 'll stay a couple more weeks uh, by himself, and and one of the things that Craig has done is 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 developed a ministry in India uh, in with those who are ministering to the blind and It may well be that that which seems to be your handicap or your weakness may be the very area that God is going to use you to minister to others. Remember Second Corinthians one. God comforts us in our affliction so that we may comfort others who have that same affliction in their life. So it may be the things that you put on the deficit side of your ledger, or, or to put it in different terms, that may, you may use as your excuse to God for why you shouldn't be out doing something. That may be, in fact, the compelling uh, factor that uh, will be contributing failures in your life, your education, even if you didn't go to A&M, uh, work, family, resources, resources. You know, a friend of mine, Fred Smith, said when I was young, the question was, can I afford to do it? Then the, the, the question was, as he got older and busier, do I have time to do it? And as he got older, yet yeah, the question was, do I have the energy to do it? <laughs> and brother, I'm beginning to understand and appreciate those questions. But for example, as we see uh, some in our body who have been with us for some time entering into retirement, that puts them in a different category in the sense that now you may have resources you didn't have because you're not having to, to put in work as you did to earn your living. You may have time. You may have wisdom and maturity. And so one of the things that I think we need to be asking ourselves is, for those of us who are getting into that that mode, is to say, what is it that God is now enabling me to do in this new category where the parameters have somewhat changed and now I have the freedom to minister in, in many different ways that I may not have before? Have I considered or attempted anything new lately? Hey, I'm not into just just doing things that are new. You know, what was it? Um, C.S. Lewis said, God said, feed my sheep, not teach my dogs new tricks. You know, we're not into the novelty thing. But the reality is that there may be some things that we have never tried that we should have. When I was in school going to college preparing to be a teacher, I assumed I was going to go into secondary education. But the school was wise enough to say, not only do you need to do a semester of, of full-time teaching in, in, in high school, you need to do a semester of part-time teaching in elementary school. I wouldn't have done it if they hadn't have told me to. I went with elementary school. Hey, it was great. But I tried something new and realized that God had enabled me to do some things that I frankly didn't think I was equipped to do. That may be true for you. And so all I'm saying is don't get in a rut just because this has been what you have done all this, this, this length of time. Don't assume that somehow there are bars up around that that say you can't go outside those parameters. Are there opportunities to exercise my gifts in different ways? That's sort of an extension of the same question, but I'm thinking about Joseph. When you look at Joseph and his gifting, every time God put him into a new situation, his gifts manifested themselves in a slightly different way. Is that not right? And you see that that there's administration and and wisdom in what happens, but whether he's uh, in Potiphar's penthouse as the guy who's head of all the household, whether he's in the dungeon now ministering to the political prisoners or Pharaoh's palace, His gifts adapt to the circumstances that God has placed him in. Maybe your circumstances have changed. Maybe our circumstances as a church have changed. Are there new ways in which old gifts need to be exercised to the glory of God and to your benefit as well? What things hinder or threaten my ministry? If I read Romans chapter 12 correctly, there are always Achilles' heels Our strengths may be our greatest weakness. Our strength may be the occasion for our downfall. So that Paul says, the one who gives ought to give cheerfully. If you're giving grumpy, then you're giving wrong. And that may be the downfall of what you do. We are to lead, but we are to lead in a gentle way, as Peter says, not in a dictatorial way. So our leadership style... Uh, and our attitudes toward leadership and the flock can affect the way in which we do our job. What are the Achilles heels of my gift? What are the things that may, that may threaten uh, God using me in the way that uh, he could? And we ought to be on guard against those. Are the things that I'm doing? Oh, this gets touchy. Are there things that I'm doing that are not really spiritually productive? One of the problems with the church is that you get all these kinds of ministries that grow sort of like barnacles on the bottom of a boat and 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 once we get them going we don't really know how to scrape the barnacles off and and so we end up finding people to fill slots and 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 I'm not saying that we don't sustain ministries that are important I'm saying we evaluate and say has Has the lifespan of this gift or this ministry passed, and is it time to pronounce the benediction uh, and leave that alone? I think some of us are doing things that probably are not most productive. And the older we get, we're going to have to face up to the fact we can't do all the things that we used to do, and maybe we shouldn't have done it then. Are there things that are not spiritually productive? And are there ministries that I'm seeking to sustain that ought to be allowed to die? Those are, those are tough questions, but they are questions nevertheless that we ought to constantly be asking ourselves as we minister in the body. This is Steve Novakovich here. Am I working at a sustainable pace? If it looks brilliant, it's not mine. But, but Steve said, and I think it's right, that when you're working with people, there are some people who who start out with a flash and, and, and you know, it's like a rocket. But the bottom line is they can't sustain that pace. They can't sustain that level of output. And those people get frustrated. They burn out. They quit. They do all kinds of things they shouldn't do. And, and so it relates to the same thing, and that is are we really... Doing more than we should seek to do. Maybe we need to do less and to do better. And in terms of our motivation, am I doing things out of guilt uh, and duty rather than love and joy and genuine enthusiasm? Sometimes I think we just get in a rut and we forget why we're doing it but we've just been doing it for so long, and people tell us if we don't do it, nobody's going to do it, and, and and it just isn't the right kind of ministry. We need to minister out of love, joy, and enthusiasm. Then, what gifts in the body do I need to minister to my weaknesses? If you look at the whole context of the body of Christ and and, minister, and, and members are ministering one to another, then we ought to look in terms of our strengths. We ought to look at those strengths and, and, and in a sense, as somebody said, if you're a hammer, the whole world's a nail. But 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 if you are a hammer, we ought to be looking for nails, right? And, and 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 yet, we ought to recognize that we're nails. We're nails, so to speak, for other people because while I have my strengths, I have my weaknesses and my deficits and I desperately need other people to minister to me. And so the first question is, am I aware of my weaknesses and where I need other people to minister to me? And secondly, do I provide them with the occasion to actually meet my needs? Am I transparent enough that I actually reveal the areas of my weakness? Am I available enough that people actually see me and my weaknesses? And I guess I'm going to do a little pitch for ministry groups right here but ministry groups is one of those places where people get to know you up close and personal and they have the opportunity now to see your needs and to uh, to minister to you. Try this one on last. What is the unique contribution of CBC as a church? Have you ever thought about this? When we think about spiritual gifts, we think about individuals within the church. But the reality is, Churches aren't uh, little balanced uh, uh, bodies where everything is just right. In fact, when you look at denominational lines, you often discover that, that certain gifts gravitate in certain denominational ways. And so the reality is that every church is going to be like we... Uh, now, this is my perception, and, and somebody may challenge me, But but it seems to me that churches are going to have their areas of strength, and they're going to have their areas of weakness. And it would be good for that church to say, this is an area of real contribution. Let's just say for a moment that teaching is one of our, our areas. We're close to the seminary, our roots with Believers Chapel, all these kinds of things that we've, that we've been able to make a contribution in that way. But there are several things that go with that. That may mean that everybody thinks here that they need to be a teacher. And that would not be true. In fact, it makes us more imbalanced. Maybe we start attracting people who are teachers but not others. That makes us imbalanced. And we need to be saying, how do we come to terms with that? And one of the ways, I think, is to look at other churches and say, we can contribute to other churches with this area of strength, but we need those other, the, those other churches to minister to us. Just an example, Church of the Open Door when Colin McDougall came here, we entered into a kind of partnership. And and they, as you know, this past year, they prayed that 50 people out of about 500, that about 10% of their body would have the joy of leading someone to Christ last year. It was, I think, 51 when, when the clock stopped. But does our association with Colin and the Church at the Open Door, does it not help us in our understanding of prayer, does it not help to motivate us to say, hmm, I wonder how we're doing here? And if that's true, then our association and our networking with other churches, it seems to me, is vital because we need to be shoring up in the church, in the larger church, we need to be shoring up those areas of weakness that may be there. Well, that's the soup for the day, and uh, I wanted you to give that thought in, in relation to spiritual gifts. Take those questions home with you. Think about them. Throw out the bad ones, but think about those questions that may be significant to you and your ministry and may be significant to us as a church and our ministry because these are important days in the history of the church, and we need to be alert And we need to be aggressive to do the things that God has called us to do. Father, thank you for all that you have given to us in terms of gifts, gifted people, and opportunities. And we pray that you would help us in this coming year to be faithful stewards of these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.